Hey everyone, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. Today we're tackling a bit of a philosophical question, and that is, am I a gear snob? So, over the years of having the podcast and, you know, having the YouTube channel and mentoring people and teaching students and whatever, I have been accused, lovingly of course, of being a bit of a gear snob. Meaning, some people have said that I tend to suggest expensive gear or that my recommendations are unreasonable or, you know, whatever. And that might be partly true. However, I would like to have a chance to explain myself and have a little bit of a philosophical discussion about gear and spending money on gear and price and all that stuff. So let's go for it. First of all, I have no problem admitting that audio gear is not the most important part of the chain. I've said this on the podcast before. I firmly believe it. The source is king. The actual thing you're recording, right? So the player, the song, the instrument, the room that you're in, the guitar amp you're using, whatever it may be, all of that stuff makes a way bigger difference than any mic preamp or whatever, you know, that... The gear mostly is a tool to allow us to capture things efficiently and as we hear them. And of course, everything's subjective when it comes to that, what we like, what we don't like. But, you know, it's not to say that audio gear is irrelevant. It's just the actual thing you're recording is always more important. Secondly, I can only really suggest gear that I have owned or used And even though I've owned and used a lot of gear in the last 15 years, the pro audio world has also changed drastically in the last 15 years, right? Like, there are so many more budget-friendly options available. There's something at every price point. Not only that, but cheap gear now is pretty definitively better than cheap gear back then, especially when it comes to the digital side of things. Like, I remember paying $1,500 for an interface back in the early 2000s, um... That's like pathetic compared to what we can do for a third of the price today. You know what I mean? Like so and plugins and stuff. Oh, my gosh. Plugins were so bad back then. And now they're amazing. Um, You know, so stuff is hard. So when I'm suggesting something, it may be a piece of gear that, you know, I'm not familiar with if people are asking me about it. And and I can't really say I suggest it because I've never used it. You know, there's too many options now. Um, Third, over the years, I do feel like. I have developed a pretty good sense of what things make the most difference. Um, So when it comes to gear suggestions, you know, we're actually talking about the chain now, not the source and all that. Um, For example, I believe that studio monitors and the monitoring path and like the control room treatment and all that is absolutely priority one for anyone considering doing this professionally or at least semi-professionally. Um, it makes more of a difference than any plug-in or microphone or preamp or whatever, because if you can't hear what you're doing, then how are you really going to trust any decision that you make? How can you decide if that microphone sounds good? How can you decide if anything sounds good if you can't trust your monitoring? And people don't believe me that it's that much, uh, you know, that drastic. But I mean, it's really actually quite provable that the differences between microphone to microphone are generally not as drastic as the differences in a poorly treated room to a, you know, well-treated room with good monitors. Um, That's like scientifically measurable, right? Like you can measure frequency response and you can measure decay times and you can measure distortion and you can measure transient response. Like you can measure these things directly and compare, does this mic preamp make a bigger difference than that mic preamp? 
or does having a well-treated room make a bigger difference? And I mean, to me, it's clear. It's very easy, easy to prove. Um, so if somebody contacts me and asks me for my opinion on a cheap pair of monitors, um, you know, and, and their room's not treated and all this, I mean, you're probably going to guess my response. So if I say, like, you need to treat your room and you need to spend a couple thousand dollars on a nice set of monitors and overall, you know, you need to spend probably, it's probably going to cost you four or five thousand dollars to get a treated room and a great set of monitors. People might accuse that of being gear snobbery, but really, to me, I'm saying that because I've done this for a long time and can tell you it matters that much. Okay, it really does matter more than getting fancy preamps or whatever. It, it just does. Um, now, of course, so much of audio gear comes down to what you want to spend, what you can spend. And thankfully, these days, there's kind of an option at every price point. But I can't, in good conscience, tell you that it's all created equal. There are so many factors that determine price. I mean, the parts, the labor, the size of the company and the cost of their overhead, the types of distribution that they have. It's it's really hard to gauge. It's hard to know. We we can't know all the inner workings of ever of every company um, just to see if a, if a price is worth it or not. You know what I mean? What I am saying though is that there are like lower limits to what can be done at certain prices. And there are upper limits to what I feel is reasonable to pay for a piece of gear and, you know, beyond which you're just paying for the name, you know, and price is all relative too. like, if I suggest that somebody spends $2,000 or $1,500 on a single microphone, that to me is what I would consider like mid tier in my world, like high end boutique microphones are three, four, five, six thousand $6,000. If you really want to go really high-end, there are new production microphones that cost $10,000 or more. You know, I know what it costs to build a microphone using quality components, so at a fundamental level, I know these two things. A $300 microphone claiming to sound like a U47 is probably not worth your time, and a $20,000 microphone claiming to sound like a U47 is also not worth your time, in my opinion. So like 1500 bucks for a microphone to me is actually a very reasonable price for if you consider the parts, the time it takes to build, the overhead associated, you know, it, it's very reasonable. Not only that, but like a $1,500 microphone will very likely be better build quality, have a warranty, last you much longer. The $300 microphone made with cheap parts probably won't have that long of a lifespan. I mean, it might, it depends what it is, right? Um, it, and they're, you're, you're probably just going to end up getting rid of it. You know, it's not something that you will necessarily keep forever. The same thing happens when it comes to plugins too. Like people complain that say a UAD plugin costs $300, but in my mind, in my, you know, the relatively speaking, that's an absolute steal because the hardware is 10 times the price, right? And I can use the UAD plugin on as many channels as my computer can handle. Now, people might say, well, Waves makes the same thing for $30, but, you know, does it really nail the sound? I mean, in my experience, um, UAD has consistently gotten closer to the sound than Waves. I love Waves plugins. I use Waves plugins a lot, but they just don't quite nail it for me. And so again, that you kind of get what you pay for. Now, again, there is that high limit as well 
a microphone does not cost $20,000 to build. There's no, there's no reason you should pay $20,000 for a microphone, in my opinion. Um, it, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. You know, in my circles, the people that I think are gear snobs are, you know, those are the people that are laughing at me for using a $4,000 Wunder 67 uh, rather than a vintage 67, right? Like, oh, it's not the same thing. It's clearly inferior to the vintage one. It's not even the same, right? Like, or, or you know, that a BAE 1073 that to many of you is high-end gear, that's laughable because it's like, oh, that's not a real 1073, you know? And it's like a real 1073, a vintage one is, you know, up to what, $7,000 on the used market now. It's crazy, you know? Understand that I own very little vintage gear because I don't think vintage gear is worth it. Almost everything I own is still currently produced. And not only that, but I would say 60 to 70% of the gear I own, I purchased used. So like gear snobs to me are people who still think that purchasing a vintage console is a worthwhile investment. I mean, and to me, that's crazy. I'm not saying that a console in general is is always a bad idea, but, you know, owning a $200,000 large format console is just not worth it. Like, there are arguments to be made for smaller consoles, especially newer ones, you know, like API is still making great consoles and stuff, and not crazy expensive, but they are still pricey. But, like, you know, if you're if you're saying that the only way to get a good result is by buying a vintage 72 input Neve, I mean... <laughs> That's just, I, I don't really see any justification for it other than just wanting to appear professional. Um, you know, the other issue with this is that most people that are doing audio are striving to get a certain standard of quality. But then a lot of people, you know, even myself, I'm guilty of this too. They don't want to put in the investment to make it happen. They'll say, well, I hold myself to X standard of quality. You know, who are you to say that I can't get it with half of that or a third of that or a quarter of that? Well, in a very real sense, there are there are limits to what can be done. You know, like a cheap student snare drum from a pawn shop that costs you $50 probably will not sound like a Ludwig Black Beauty, no matter how much you tune it or mess with new heads or mic it differently or EQ it different. Like there are physical limitations to what instruments or pieces of gear can sound like. That's not to say the cheap student snare wouldn't sound cool. I'm just saying if you want it to sound something, if you want it to sound like something that costs multitudes more, you kind of got to manage your expectations. You know, people will say to me things like, I really want to get a great guitar sound like uh, John Mayer or insert guitar player here, you know. And if I suggest like a reasonable chain that is far cheaper than what this actual person used to get that, uh, I'm accused of being a gear snob. <laughs> For example, let, let's use John Mayer because I'm a John Mayer fan and, uh, and I know a lot about the recording process for John Mayer because I've researched it. Um, so, for example, John Mayer recorded much of the guitars on his Continuum record using vintage guitars costing thousands of dollars, high-end vintage Fender and Dumble amps costing thousands and thousands of dollars. Microphones used uh, were Shure SM57s and Bayer M88s, up close on amps, but then in the room they'd have U67s, U87s. U47s, sometimes a Telefunken 251 as a mono mic around the amp circle. All of these mics went into, you know, vintage Neve preamps. I mean, we're talking a total of $100,000 plus 
just to capture John Mayer's guitar on Continuum. Now, of course, he's an amazing player, and you could say, well, he'd probably sound good on anything, blah, blah, blah. We're not going down that path right now. So I I don't think any reasonable person would suggest spending $100,000 to get a guitar set up. In fact, most of that stuff is only expensive because it's vintage. We you know, already talked about that. But if I suggest spending, say, $1,500 on a guitar, $3,000 on an amp, $2,000 on microphones, $3,500 on preamps, that's actually an incredibly reasonable compromise to achieve a very similar sound for $10,000 instead of $100,000. But people often will expect me to be able to tell them they can achieve the same thing for $500. Bucks. I just can't do that. Like, I, I can't in good conscience tell you that is possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just can't guarantee that's what you're going to get. But for that $10,000, I can pretty well guarantee you can get close. Um, you know, there are limits, right? Like, there are limits to what can be done. Yes, there are cheap pieces of gear that sound amazing that I use and that we all use. And there are expensive pieces of gear that are not worth it, uh, that sound mediocre, uh, but generally speaking, like I said, you do get what you pay for, especially when it comes to musical instruments, amps, stuff like that. Like, and, and there, those are very real limits that you cannot change, right? Like a crappy set of cymbals is going to sound crappy regardless, and it's not going to get better over time. They're generally just going to sound bad forever. Um, so I, I'd also like to remind you, I'm sure all of you know, but it's important to note that I do this for a living. So if somebody asks for suggestions and they're doing this as a hobbyist, just realize that's kind of like automatically a bit of a disconnect because like my goal is to get the absolute best sound that I can for my clients and for myself. I'm not just trying to like make demos of songs for fun, right? So like when people are asking me my suggestions, like I'm always looking at it through that lens of what sounds best um, and what is the best possible thing you can get for this price, right? Um, and usually if people are on a budget, one of the first things I suggest is something used because, you know, you're actually getting a much nicer piece of gear for cheaper, right? Um, but like, if you're just looking for something that will work, like that's not my, that's not the way I approach my job, right? Like, so realize that, like if I suggest something, it's always filtered through the lens of, I'm suggesting this because I think this will help you get the best possible sound for that price. Not because I'm just looking for something that will get by. Now, you might make the argument that people can't justify spending money on this gear because they won't make a return on it. And that's not a bad argument. But if you're going to make it, again, you can't really complain that the quality you're getting doesn't match the professionals that you admire. In addition, a lot of people don't really look at return on investment in the same way. They think about it in terms of their income versus expenses, but it's really not just about that. One of the primary benefits of getting nice equipment is the time that it saves you. Yes, you can use a cheap set of studio monitors in an untreated room. Yes, um, you can, but how many hours will you spend checking the mix on the car, on your stereo, doing mix tweaks, checking it again, so on and so forth. So the real question is like, how much is your time worth, right? And, and these pieces of gear, better pieces of gear can help you save a ton of time. To me, time is one of the most valuable assets in my life because it's something I can't buy or sell or get back. I can, however, 
invest in pieces of equipment that save me time. And that to me is super valuable. It's one of the primary questions I ask myself when I'm looking at pieces of gear is, will this save me time? If it will, I'm interested. You know what I mean? So let's just look at an example of this. Say that you're a vocal studio and you charge 40 bucks an hour to record and mix vocals. And let's say your main microphone is a budget-friendly microphone that costs you 500 bucks, okay? You use stock preamps on your interface, no outboard gear, whatever. Now, you could have gone for the more expensive vocal microphone that cost you 1000 bucks or 1500 bucks, and you could have spent $1,000 on a nice outboard preamp, but you didn't. Now, let's say when it comes time to mix, working with the cheaper budget vocal chain uh, takes you about 20 minutes per vocal to get it to sound great. Now, let's say on average the songs that you work on have five vocal tracks, a lead, a double, a couple harmonies. So total, you spend about 100 minutes per song mixing vocals. That's really not bad. But had you bought the nicer vocal chain, maybe it only took you five minutes per vocal to get a great sound because you already could do some of that stuff on the way in and it just had a better quality sound up front. It was clearer. Uh, you know, it's already sounded more finished. So instead of 100 minutes, you've now spent 25 minutes with the nicer chain. So let's put this in context. Let's say you work on one song a week. That's four songs a month, 48 songs a year. Okay. Um... Over the course of a year, you would have spent 80 hours getting your budget vocal chain to sound great. Now, again, that's not saying your results weren't great, but you spent 80 hours total uh, over the course of a year. But you would have only spent 20 hours getting the nice vocal chain to sound good. So at 40 bucks an hour, you've wasted $2,400 and 60 hours of your life trying to get budget gear to sound better. I want to be very clear. I'm not saying the results you get aren't amazing. I'm just saying the time that you spent to get those results, right? Like the time is so key. And to me, um, if you were to tell me like, hey, do you want to waste 60 hours of your life, uh, you know, working on stuff to try to make it sound better? I mean, that just makes me cringe, right? Like my goal is to get the best capture that I can at, at anything, whatever it is, drums, vocals, anything. So I'm, when I'm investing in pieces of gear, I'm looking at it through the lens of that's going to sound great and save me time. That's going to sound great and make the mix easier. That's going to sound great and get what the client wants, right? Like all of those things are so, so important to me. And it doesn't matter if the end result, like a lot of people will say that they'll be like, you know, who cares what gear you use? It's, you know, the end results speak for themselves. And it's like, yes, but in a very real sense, we're human beings with a finite amount of time here. Do you want to spend your life working to make your tracks sound better? Or do you want to get great results easily and get back to focusing on music rather than fixing stuff? You know what I mean? And after all of this, my example was only talking about vocals. Somebody like me, I record a lot of full bands. I you know, work with artists and we build arrangements around them. So imagine that same amount of time you know, commitment, but across vocals, guitars, drums, bass, keyboards, synths, whatever, 
Imagine it taking 12 hours to mix a song from start to finish versus maybe seven. That five hours might not seem like a huge amount of time, but over the course of a year, that's 240 hours. And if you're charging 40 bucks an hour, that's $9,600 a year, okay? So I think people tend to look at this as a question of like, well, you know, the good gear sounds great. Yeah, but I can get there with EQ and stuff like that. But again, at what cost? Like you really aren't saving money in the long run. It might seem like it, but a lot of times you're not. Um, so a, a good example of all of this is the Billie Eilish record, right? Such a cool record. And, you know, I, I really am proud of them for all their Grammy wins and stuff like that. But people tend to use her record as justification that you don't need fancy gear to make a great record, that recording in major studios is a waste of money and, you know, working with other producers and engineers isn't worth it. You can do, do stuff yourself at home. But in fact, it proves none of that. And uh, I will dissect it a little bit. So first, it doesn't prove that you don't need nice gear to make a record. All it proves is you don't need fancy gear to make a Billie Eilish record. Much of that record was synths and virtual instruments and, of course, vocals. Um, so you're not really having to record a lot of live instruments. And no, you don't really need a lot of microphones. You really just need one great microphone that sounds good for her. Secondly, speaking of that, she reportedly used a TLM-103 for her vocals, which is like a $1,000 microphone. That's not what I would consider necessarily budget microphone, but, you know, like I said, in my circles, people laugh at that microphone, right? They're like, oh, that mic sucks, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, for the average Joe first starting recording, like a $1,000 microphone will seem like, wow, that's so expensive. Um, third, in many interviews, Billie Eilish has said this record took forever to make over a year of work. Could that process have taken less time if they had used nicer gear in a nicer studio? It's very possible. I don't know that for sure. Even if the results were the same or a little bit better or whatever, like the time, the time is the hidden factor. I, I really want to get that across. So fourth, that record was mixed by Rob Kanelsky. A big name mixer who works with like 30 Seconds to Mars, Ariana Grande, Beyonce, Ed Sheeran, Drake, Justin Bieber, Need I Go On, right? Like, this is not a small name guy mixing stuff for a hundred bucks a song in his bedroom, right? He very likely charges a pro rate to do his job and he's very good at it. Like, this, this guy's not messing around. If you can make records by yourself in your bedroom, why did they send the record for, to him to get mixed, right? This is the part that also kind of bothers me is people will often take the stance of like, you know, oh, the mixer is the hero. You know, the mixer makes the record, you know, and to me over the years, the, the longer I do this, the more I realize that like the real heroes are the engineers and producers, not really the mixer, because if you can get a better recording, mixing is a lot more fun. Mixing is a lot easier, a lot more enjoyable. You know, and, and it goes way faster. And if you get the right recordings, the right tracks on the way in, uh, the mix becomes such a different experience than if you have to spend the whole time just fixing stuff. And I have experienced, you know, over the last couple of years as I've gotten better and, you know, I, I'm realizing now like, wow, I can mix a song pretty consistently in six hours. Um, which I used to think was going to be impossible. I was like, oh, I'll never be able to mix a song. It used to take me days to mix a song, you know? And now I can mix a song of, of a very large song, right? Like we're talking a hundred plus tracks in a mix. 
in six hours. And a big part of it is not necessarily because I've gotten faster at the computer. I mean, sure, I have. But a big part of it is that the raw tracks have gotten better. The stuff that I've recorded has gotten better. And, you know, a song that I get from somebody else to mix that wasn't recorded as well might take me a lot longer. So in summary, am I a gear snob? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> my, my point is, it's relative, you know, and, and the, the people that I think are gear snobs uh, you know, are the people suggesting buying vintage gear only, and that's the only way to get a great sound. And, you know, you got to have a console, or you're not a real studio, you got to have vintage Neumanns, or you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. But to a lot of people, I might seem like a gear snob, because I'm suggesting, you know, what I consider to be like mid-tier gear. You know, what stuff, I think there's like the bell curve, right? Like, I, I'm not really going to suggest stuff on the very high end because it's not worth it. And I'm not going to suggest stuff on the low end because it's also not worth it. But regardless, my advice to you out there is to just, when you're purchasing something, think about it as an investment in your studio and in your clients, but also in your time. If you invest in high quality yet reasonable stuff, you'll get better results earlier. And when you get better results you'll get, I mean, you'll get better work, right? And then you'll get more work and then you can buy better gear and, you know, it's, but if you just kind of consistently make do with what you got and you just settle for stuff, you might not advance, right? And you can't really be one of those people who, you know, if you're expecting that standard of quality, but you refuse to invest in it, you don't really have a leg to stand on in terms of complaining about it, right? Like it will seem like stuff takes way longer and it will, you will spend way longer getting the results that you want. And eventually over time, you'll probably invest and you'll say, why didn't I do this sooner? You know, that's just all based on my personal experience, right? Um, after all of this, still, don't be afraid to ask me for advice on equipment. Just realize I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be blunt. I'm going to tell you what I think is worth it. You know what I mean? And I'm going to tell you what I think will help you get better results. Um, I, I'm less concerned about it. And again, I'm coming at this from the uh, standpoint of being a business owner and being a full-time engineer and producer. And my goals may be different from yours. And that's okay. If you don't like what uh, the advice I give you, that's totally fine. You know, just be aware this is my position on the matter. And I thought it might be helpful to shed some light on what's going through my head when it comes to gear purchasing and things like that. So anyway, I hope this episode was somewhat interesting or helpful or maybe gave you some things to think about. If you do have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out the website, recordingloungepodcast.com, and of course, the YouTube channel. You can search for The Recording Lounge. I'll talk to you guys next time. I hope you have a great week.